0: The following production is produced and recorded by Derek Jackson exclusively for All Our Nonsense. For more episodes like these, please subscribe to Patreon.com slash All Our Nonsense. Enjoy the show. Good evening, everybody. Um, Number one, I want to start by saying I apologize for my absence. I've been doing a lot of recording for Patreon exclusively, so um, I've kind of fallen behind on episodes here. I think the last one I posted was the Wonder Woman review, and that was like the top of the year. So I do apologize for that. Um, I want to get back into giving you guys more content here exclusively. Uh, i do want to point out that these episodes will go to patreon first i do want to let you know that it's early access there so if you want to hear them early you got to subscribe to my patreon that's patreon.com all our nonsense there's exclusive audio at the one dollar three dollar and five dollar level so you can tell your friends <clears throat> excuse me if they're interested and you guys want to hear this stuff early or hear stuff that's exclusive only to patreon remember it Which is one dollar, three dollars, or five dollars. That's it. I'm not hitting you guys over the head. I understand that right now COVID is pretty tough. Uh, A lot of people didn't get their stimulus, you know, and things like that. So uh, I want to make it as affordable uh, as affordable for everyone as I possibly can. And um, I just want to, you know, talk about some different topics and things like that for you guys, and and shed lights on shed light on some things that I'm very interested in, and you guys may be very interested in as well. Today, my topic, I don't know how it popped in my head, but it's something that I just really, really love. I want to talk about a film that comes from a comic strip from, I believe, the 30s, but was very, very near and dear to me as a child. And that film, of course, if you looked at the episode title, would be Dick Tracy. Um, I remember... The whole marketing behind this I remember being like in a Disney store As a kid like with my grandmother And I begged her to buy me like this Dick Tracy book I just thought You know I knew nothing about the comic strip From the 30s obviously because I was way too young But you know Just seeing the, the trailers for the film I thought it looked really really fucking cool The only person I knew in the film was Madonna Because at this time Madonna was bigger Than fucking life I had no idea who Warren Beatty was I had never seen Bonnie and Clyde, uh, the first time I actually saw, um, Al Pacino was in this film, and, you know, my, my father had to point that out to me, he was talking to a friend, he's like, look at the, I'm watching, and he's like, Al Pacino, and they start talking about Scarface and the Godfather, and I was like, hmm, who is this guy, and eventually I would go to find out who Al Pacino was, um, the characters, you know, the production, the sets, this was done on a soundstage, the music, everything, um, about the time this movie came out I had started playing in band I was playing the drums at eight years old so I'm being introduced to a bunch of different types of music and genres and things like that so this is the first time that I heard like this early era like you know not big band stuff but almost kind of there but like club like music and um it just reminds me of stuff like uh Harlem Nights you, you know the way that uh Sugar Ray's operated and things like that and I don't it was I was just enamored by this movie and in reading and doing my research on it I actually just watched it a bit earlier but reading and doing my doing my research I get it I get why Warren Beatty did the things he did I get why it was appealing to somebody of my age you know seeing a kid walk around run around with this adult uh this cop who was this Hard ass fucking detective, um, that character, the kid, was supposed to appeal to the kids who wanted to see the movie. And then, you know, you had Madonna who was going to appeal to uh, older, you know, gentlemen and probably some ladies as well. Madonna was very, very attractive in this film. And then you had the element of crime that was also going to appeal to the older crowd and things like that. When I was younger, I didn't understand what the hell was going on in this film. But as I watched it earlier, And when I watched it, you know, the minute I became an adult and got older, I was like, oh, this makes you know perfect sense why he did this or why he said that or why they're doing this. Uh, Just looking at the cast, I didn't know who any of these people were when I was a kid. Again, like I said, I knew who Madonna was because she was the biggest thing in the world at this time. It was like Madonna, Michael Jackson, and then everybody else. Well, and depending on how you look at that, you know, the order and that's no particular order. I'm just saying she was as big as you could get madonna michael jackson prince michael jordan um so many of these people they were just absolutely iconic at this time but i come to find out you know the character of lips manless uh portrayed very and he's his time in the film was very very short he's portrayed by paul servino who of course is one of my favorite characters in the film goodfellas he plays Polly, who's basically the father of you know the neighborhood's family and things like that um Of course, Warren Beatty. I got to see more Warren Beatty stuff uh, as I got older. Uh, He portrays the character of Dick Tracy. Again, Madonna is Breathless Mahoney. Al Pacino is uh, Big Boy Caprice. Um, What I tell you, my favorite actor in the whole film has to be William Forsythe as Flat Top, because I just thought that his character was like so crazy he had like this square flat head like wide ass face and shit like that but like flat top was cool as you could get like he had his like his nine millimeter on him and he just talked real slick and he had this look about him like yo say what you want i will bust one at you right now like i don't care and he was big boy's right hand man he was he was effectively big boy's gun so I just thought that William Forsyth did a phenomenal job as a flat top. William Forsyth also, and a lot of other films I loved as I got older. I just watched Blue Streak last week, and William Forsythe was hilarious in that. Um, in The Rock with Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery, he has the iconic line, you're gonna need-to-know basis, and, or I think, yeah, I think he's the one who says, you're gonna need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. Um, you know, all this, He he just played these iconic characters as he went along in his career so uh just a little backstory dick tracy is a 1990 american comedy action crime film based on the 1930s comic strip character of the same name created by chester gould warren beatty produced directed and starred in the film whose supporting cast includes al pacino madonna glenn headley charlie corsmo dick tracy depicts detectives romantic relationships with breathless mahoney and tess trueheart as well as his conflicts with crime bros crime boss Alphonse, big boy Caprice, and his henchmen. Tracy also begins fostering a young street urchin named Kid. Development of the film being, uh, began in the early 1980s with Tom Mankiewicz assigned to write the script. The screenplay was written instead by Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr., both who wrote Top Gun, which is another one of my favorite films from the 80s. Uh, I remember everybody made such a big fuss about Top Gun when I was a kid, and I was like, Top Gun? top All they're talking about is Top Gun and you know it it, tom cruise was awesome in risky business and a bunch of other stuff but top gun really put him on the map and then when i got older and i saw it i was like oh i get it this is a really good fucking film um the project also went through director steven spielberg john landis walter hill and richard benjamin before the arrival of beatty it was filmed mainly at universal studios danny elfman was hired to compose the score and the film's music was featured on three separate soundtrack albums Dick Tracy premiered at the Walt Disney World Resort in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, on June 14th of 1990. It was released nationwide a day later to mix reviews, but was a su- success at the box office and at awards times. It garnered seven Academy Award nominations, winning in three of its categories, Best Original Song, Best Makeup, and Best Art Direction. Um, you know, I, clearly people felt some way about the film, and me being a kid, this is 1990, so I'm eight years old. And, uh, I remember, I don't remember who actually took me to see it in theaters. I don't remember that. I do remember renting it when it came to video and like, I would watch it and rewind the tape and watch it again and rewind it and watch it again. And my mother's like, watch another film. Why don't you? And I was just so in love with this movie. Um, the film itself is set in 1938 at an illegal card game. A young street urchin witnesses the massacre of a group of mobsters at the hands of Flat Top and Itchy. Again, Flat Top, that's my dude. Uh, two of the hoods on the payroll of Alphonse Big Boy Caprice. Big Boy's crime syndicate is aggressively taking over all small businesses in the city. It doesn't say where this is actually set. I'm not sure on the setting. Like, I guess it's just like some fictional city somewhere. Another cool thing about Dick Tracy. Um, I thought about this a couple, probably a couple months back. Um, I received a text or something, and I looked at it on my watch, and I, for a moment, I was like, I remember being a kid. And being really, like, enthusiastic about Dick Tracy and how cool he was. But the coolest thing about Dick Tracy was he had the two-way radio in his watch. And he would receive calls from the police station like... Dick Tracy, you better get down to the docks, and I thought that was the coolest thing, and I remember when this film came out with all the marketing and merchandise, there was a Dick Tracy watch, but I never got that watch. I might have asked for it for Christmas, and I never got it, so if anyone can find one of those watches, I do have an Apple Watch and a ton of other watches. I love watches, if you know me, but if you can find that watch, please let me know, because I definitely want one, but anyway, is responding to this text on my watch. I was like, oh, this is kind of feels like a Dick Tracy moment. I kind of felt like Dick Tracy in the moment. A black Dick Tracy, I guess. Um, <clears throat> Tracy catches the urchin who calls himself Kid in an act of petty theft. After rescuing him from a ruthless host, Tracy temporarily adopts him with the help of his girlfriend, Tess Trueheart. The funny thing about, uh, this is played by Charlie Corsmo, and Charlie Corsmo was also a uh, young Jack in the Disney film Hook about Peter Pan going back to Neverland as an adult and kind of having to uh, re, repatriate himself with the Lost Boys and learn and, and Tinkerbell and how to fly and all that. So Charlie Corsmo actually played his son in that film. Charlie Corsmo Car- was also really good in the film Can't Hardly Wait that came out in 1998, which was cool for me because this is when I like high school was winding down for me. Ninety eight, The fall of 98, I would have started my junior year. Um, So Ken Harley-Way came out and uh, Charlie Corswell played the character William Lichter. He was basically like the school nerd, but he like had been basically bullied by this guy, Mike Dexter, his whole, like not just high school, like since like elementary school, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, I don't really know what happened to Charlie Corswell after that. He really hasn't done much acting as far as I know, but uh, he's definitely in three of my favorite films, Dick Tracy, Can't Hardly Wait, and Hook, so, you know, I think the kid did pretty fucking good, um, so, Lips Manless, uh, funny character, uh, you know, he owns this nightclub, and, uh, Big Boy basically raids the club, he, uh, gets him, uh, you know he he actually sends in some guys dressed like police officers and they're like oh, we're taking you in you're under arrest and they get out to the car and he's like flat top is in the back seat of the car he's like hey lips and he's like wait a minute flat top what are you doing here and he's like wait you guys aren't cops and he of course takes him down to the docks and big boy is there eating walnuts and he basically threatens him into signing over the the deed to his club and then says hey you, you stink you don't look so good you need a bath. And what that meant was you're going to get a cement bath, you know, and that, I don't know if they really did that to guys at, during this time or this is during basically one of the heights of organized crime. Um I believe this may have still been during Prohibition, Um but it, I mean, if you know anything about the uh, Costa Nostra and the mafia and the crime syndicate, I mean, it pretty much existed because of prohibition. You know, people still wanted to get drunk. They wanted to drink. And most of the crime syndicates, the, the guys who, you know, rose to power is because they were able to, you know, bootleg alcohol and get it to the masses and things like that. So uh, anyway, Lip signs over the deed to his club. Uh, Big boy kills him with some in overcoat. Steals his girlfriend, who would be Breathless Mahoney, a.k.a. Madonna and madonna looked fabulous in this role uh i just watching it today i was like wow i, I forgot like you know she's in her i i would say madonna's got to be 50 nearly 60 at this point i'm not sure i would have to actually check uh let's see madonna is 62 okay so this is 1988 when the thing was filmed 88 or 89. Um, but she looked fabulous She looks absolutely fabulous And she's a lounge singer And she's pretty much the Most gorgeous woman in this city uh, I would imagine I'd have to say so And she had these backup dancers Like these stage girls Who were also very attractive as well Uh, Then remember This is the 1930s And the only way you were going to see A person of color in a role like that You'd have to go to a "Quote unquote" colored club or a black club, you know, a la Sugar Ray's in Harlem Nights. So there weren't any women of color in there. Um, they were all, you know, I don't want to say like they were all just white women, uh, but you know, those women of that age—that that's the age, I guess, where you say the pinup girl really kind of started, and they all kind of had that look, you know, um, not too curvy but just curvy enough you know red lipstick uh really nice done makeup really nice done hair and stuff like that it was really really cool there's a scene where madonna's like in like this sheer thing it's black and see through and you can clearly see she's not wearing a bra she's wearing underwear and i was just like this film uh (laughs) it's it, it was put under the touchstone umbrella but touchstones part of disney remember this premiered at disney and if you went to the disney store they had dick tracy merchandise so it's like there was a half naked madonna in a disney film i just want to point that out if you guys didn't realize that so um uh lips is reported missing obviously big boy killed him uh so tracy brings in flat top itchy and mumbles uh, Mumbles is played by, I believe, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman plays Mumbles. Again, this is a phenomenal cast. Let me just run down again. Warren Beatty is Dick Tracy. Al Pacino is Big Boy. Madonna is Breathless Mahoney. Uh, let's see. James Keen is Pat Padden. Um, uh, Dick Van Dyke is the district attorney. Uh, Kathy Bates is the stenographer, which was interesting. I didn't realize that. Dustin Hoffman is Mumbles. William Forsythe is Flat top. Uh... Let's see, Paul Paul Servino, of course, is lip man- Lip's manless. James uh, Kahn, Spuds Baldoni. James Kahn, of course, in a lot of my favorite films. He plays Sonny in The Godfather. He was the head coach of the football team in the, the film The Program, which I think is awesome. Uh, a ton of stuff. Uh, Catherine O'Hara, who, if you listen to my Home Alone episodes, you know how much I love Catherine O'Hara. Uh, just a really, really well-rounded cast. The funny thing about this Madonna wanted to be in this film so bad. She worked for scale. She only made thirty five thousand dollars off this film, which is crazy because at this time again, Madonna was huge. Um, so, Tracy's been trying to get Big Boy Nab for the longest. Um, you know, Breathless is the only witness who saw what uh, breath, Breathless, Itchy, Flat Top, and Mumbles. Um, they're the only people who saw Lips Manless before, right before he died. They are the only witnesses. And, you know, Breathless goes to the police station, and Dick Tracy's trying to get her to testify against Big Boy, but she's more interested in seducing him. Uh,. So Tracy has nothing. He tries to get Big Boy locked up. He can't. He, you know, he locks him up, but you can't hold him. He get. He has a lawyer. He's a crime boss at this point. He has a lawyer. He doesn't have anything that can stick, so the DA won't indict him. But come to find out, the DA is actually dirty and on Big Boy's payroll. Um. So Big Boy tries to bring in other other criminals around town. Spuds Baldoni, Prune Face, Prune Face, iconic, uh, influence, Texi Garcia, Ribs Mocha uh, and he wants to create this board of directors of criminals, uh, Spaldoni refuses, and he's, you know, he walks down, goes downstairs, walks out to his car, and fucking car bomb goes off, um, you know, so, big boy is taking over the city, you know, that's the whole thing, he, he doesn't care who gets in his way, He even tries to bribe Dick Tracy and Tracy doesn't go for it. So he tries to kill him. And the kid is the only thing that actually saved Tracy's life. Um, The funny thing is they give him this certificate, making him a junior detective. However, it's not legal unless he picks a name. The kid says he never had a name. You know, Tracy's like, what's your name? He's like, I don't have one. He's like, what name? He's like, no, he's like, what's your name? He's like, kid. He's like, what does your mother call you? got no mother what does your father call you got no father either so what do we call you he's like kid and the funny thing is like there's like this montage where this kid is obviously he's a street kid he's dirty he hasn't bathed or anything and Tess is like I'm gonna take him shopping and Tess takes him shopping and Tracy's at the station and they call and they're like hey Tess said she's not going to drive anywhere with this kid if he's smelling the way he does and he won't wear any of the clothes she picks out. So Tracy goes down there. He's like, look, just pick out whatever you want. And he's like, all right, fine. So the kid picks out what he wants. And then this montage goes on. And remember, this kid was on the streets for God knows how long. And they're driving them all for like a, a drive in the country and all. He's like, hey, when do we eat? And they feed him and they go do something else. And he's like, cool, when do we eat? And they feed him again. And he's like, you know, they go do something else. He's like, okay, cool. When do we eat? This kid ate all fucking day long, like, this, and I'm not talking little tiny meals, I'm talking, like, this kid ate, like, a T-bone steak, if I'm not mistaken, or something, like, this kid was shoveling down food, and ice cream, and Coca-Cola, which, if you got Coca-Cola back in those days, like, it was a treat, you know what I mean, so, uh, the kid kind of fashions himself, he wants to be like Dick Tracy, not exactly a cop, but he, Dick Tracy is, he views him as a tough guy, so, He wants to fashion himself after Tracy, but he he talks like a street guy. He's like, I don't like dames. You know, he's like, I don't, you know, and Tess was like, oh, good, because I don't like dames either. Like he talks like an adult. But you have to remember, most kids who come up in the streets, they grow up a lot faster. They mature a lot faster because of the things that they've seen and things they've been a part of and I think that's what was going on with this kid, and you know, Tracy's telling him, that at some point, you've got to go into the orphanage, and the kid's just like, no, it ain't happening, and he tries to run away, um, so the whole point of all this is that, you know, this big boy's taking trying to take over the city, and Tracy has got to figure out a way to stop this guy, he's got to find, and Again, remember the DA won't indict. Now Tracy doesn't know that the DA is on Big Boy's payroll, but that's the main reason um, that he can't indict. He he just has nothing. He has nothing that sticks, and he's like, you got to catch him in the act of actually doing something. So Dick Tracy and his brilliance, um, while they're they're kind of staging somewhat of a, of a a raid on Big Boy's Club, and this was really cool, this reminds me of Sugar Ray's, they kind of have these revolving walls, where, like, you could be shooting craps, and then it's like, the cops are coming, and then you press a button, and the wall flips around, and a dinner table's there, and you're sitting there drinking, while on the other side of this, you were just shooting craps, right? So, what Tracy's doing is, he's coming into the club with a lot of police officers, just staging a raid, when all actuality, what he's doing is getting a man on the inside. So they stick a guy up in the attic, and they drill a hole and stick a microphone down through the hole onto a lighting fixture. And Big Boy's none the wiser. So every time Big Boy calls, you know, his henchmen to go out and commit a crime, they know what's going to happen because they can hear it. Uh, they have a guy upstairs named Bug Bailey, and he's, you know. Reading this information to Tracy, like, hey, Big Boy said they're going to this warehouse or these docks or whatever. And Tracy shows up and he's basically shutting down crime in the city, but he still doesn't have enough to get Big Boy. Um, So as this is all going down, uh, eventually... They're not out of money, but it's getting pretty close, and Big Boy is just really frustrated, and he wants Dick Tracy fucking gone. Like, he's like, I gotta take care of this problem. Now, remember, Madonna's the lounge singer at the club, and the piano player goes by the name of 88 Keys. Obviously, because the piano has 88 Keys. And Madonna also plays a character called the Blank, and the character has no face. It's a mask, but it's just... A head and hair There's no eyes No lips No nose Nothing So uh, Madonna is secretly Planning to take Big Boy down And have Tracy Dick Tracy to herself And also trying to get Tess out of the picture At the same time She's tried everything She can She doesn't want to Deal with Big Boy She didn't She had come to the point Near the end of her Relationship uh, Whether romantic Or just business With lips That she couldn't Stand him anymore Um, so she's just tired of it, but she finds herself immediately attracted to Dick Tracy and, you know, her plan was we take out big boy and you and I can rule the city together. And, um, so she, as the blank comes up with this plan to set up Dick Tracy, I'm sorry, set up, it it was basically a plan to set up Dick Tracy in the eyes of big boy. But really at the same time, it was a plan to take big boy down And she presents it as the blank to ADA Keys, who's none the wiser, who then presents it to Big Boy. And he's like, don't bring me letters from somebody who has no face. And this is BS. Get out of my face. So then the raids start to happen. Tracy starts to bust up all Big Boy's rackets and things like that and bust up all his crime. And he's like, "Okay, I listened to you the first time or I didn't listen to you the first time. It's not going to cost me much. Let's just go ahead with your plan. Um. So, you know, eventually the plan is to set up Tracy, uh, and it's for Prune Face to kill Dick Tracy. Um Pruneface basically had him dead to rights and would have killed him, but the blank stepped out and was not gonna let Pruneface kill Tracy. Again, the blank is Madonna and she wanted him for herself. Um so she kills Prunefla- uh Pruneface and you know at this point though they've already discovered Bug Bailey upstairs, and they were going to kill Bug, so that was the whole thing, so Tracy's at the warehouse to, to, uh, Bug spilled, like, some coffee out of his thermos, and it went down the light fixture and dripped on Big Boy's conference table, and that's how they realized, Big Boy stood up on a chair and looked in the lighting fixture and saw the microphone, and that's when they realized, oh, we've been set up, and this is how this is all going down, um, so, you know, um, prune face is dead breathless or the blank whatever you want to call it uh they want to they drug dick tracy and they tie him up and they put him in a hotel suite and they also send a letter to the district attorney uh they have somebody who's like really good at copying people's handwriting and it comes in dick tracy's handwriting and it also sends a letter to Tess, because Tess is tired of him not, like, she's like, you know, take a desk job, you're running the streets, you're the best detective, it is what it is, you got big boy on the run, now you can chill, and Tracy's like, no, I'm not taking a fucking desk job, like, that's one foot in the grave as far as he's concerned, and Tess just wants to get married and settle down and have kids and stuff like that, but Tracy is this wild, rogue detective, um, so Tess is having second thoughts, she wants to leave, so they send a letter to Tess from Dick, a letter to Dick from Tess, Uh, this whole elaborate setup, and the plan was to kill Tess, and then frame Tracy to send him to jail, that was Big Boy's end of it, Uh, the district attorney ends up getting killed, Tracy gets blamed for it, he goes to jail, and at this point, Big Boy's back on top, Um, you know, then the blank obviously frames him for Tess's kidnapping, Uh, Tracy's released on New Year's Eve, It all goes down on New Year's Eve. the 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 climax of the film is right there on New Year's Eve. Uh, You know, they find Tess. She, you know, there was an attempt on her life. I don't want to go like I'm trying to give you a brief synopsis of the film, but you know, it's it's a really good film. I think that everybody should watch it. Uh, But it all culminates on uh, New Year's Eve. Um, Flat Top gets killed. You know, much to my my dismay. I love Flat Top, obviously uh, in the end, Dick Tracy wins, you know, he gets the girl, he gets the kid, uh, big boy dies, Breathless, unfortunately, dies as well, and at that point, there's no conflict for Tracy, because he was obviously attracted to Breathless Mahoney, but he didn't want to hurt Tess, and he truly loved Tess, he planned to propose, but every time he was going to grab the ring out of his pocket, they got a call, something came up, um, and the film ends with, you know, Tracy getting another he's sitting in a diner eating with the kid and Tess and they get a call and they run out the door and she's like, Go ahead and, and Dick Tracy stops at the door, he says to Tess, Hey, you know you're one in a million He tosses her the the box with the ring and she gladly puts it on and, you know, they go off into the night. And the crazy thing is like the kid is what, ten, eleven years old and Tracy's actually taking this kid out with him to solve crimes. He even gets him the two way radio watch and all that. So Uh, The movie ends there. Um, Apparently there was a plan for a sequel, but they got hung up and, uh, you know, a lot of legal bullshit and stuff like that. So as far as the development of the film, uh, Warren Beatty had a concept for Dick Tracy going back as far as 1975. At the time, the film rights were owned by Michael Laughlin, who gave up his option from Tribune Media Services after he was unsuccessful in pitching Dick Tracy to Hollywood Studios. Now, you have to remember, at the 75, this is three years after the first Godfather, and Star Wars is coming up and things like that. So I don't know if you can get Dick Tracy to an audience at that time. Remember, um, Batman came out in 89 with Keaton and Jack uh, Nicholson and uh Tim Burton's creation of Gotham City and stuff like that so Batman did so well and Danny Elfman of course did the score for that um so there was at that point it's like a lot of this retro nostalgia stuff this could work so I think it was easier for him to pitch it in the 80s than he did then but um you know he had to secure the rights um What happened was, you know, um, again, Michael Laughlin gave up his option from Tribute uh, tribute Media Services. Uh, He tried E. uh, Floyd Mertrix, Art Linson. They purchased the film rights in 77, Uh, 1980, 1980, United Artists became interested in financing and distributed the film. Uh, Tom Minkiewicz was under negotiations to actually write the script. Based on his success with Superman and Superman 2, remember those were blockbusters as well. Uh, Chester Gould, who created the comic strip, unfortunately insisted on financial and artistic control. And it was his vision. Remember, he's created this character and these gallery of rogues and things like that, and he doesn't want it fucked with artistically. And I guess I can understand that to a certain extent. Um, very famously i believe it was the guy who wrote calvin and Hobbes. uh for years they tried to get him to basically like think about it when you think about the peanuts and charles schultz like the peanuts were option for everything like part of the holiday season some people count halloween i don't but there's the great pumpkin charlie brown there's charlie brown thanksgiving and a charlie brown christmas that's part of my holiday season Thanksgiving and Christmas Charlie Brown I'm not really crazy about the great pumpkin Charlie Brown but Charles Schultz he optioned Charlie Brown and the peanuts for basically every fucking thing and the guy that wrote Calvin and Hobbes was just like no he he wanted control of this at all times he was not going to license the property and then eventually he stopped writing the comic strip and it just went away um but Chester Gould was like this is my child this is my baby I want financial and artistic control um I watched some behind the scenes stuff about the film Chester Gould's daughter was there during production and she said if my father could see this he would be proud the implication was that he was he would already had already passed on by the time the film was in production so I think at that point it was a little easier to get away with what Warren Beatty's vision for the film was so um Mutrix and Linson took the property to Paramount Pictures. They began developing screenplays. They offered it to Steven Spielberg to direct. Uh, They brought in Universal to co-finance. Universal put John Landis for us as candidate for director. They wanted Clint Eastwood for the role of Dick Tracy. Uh, And they commissioned Jim Cash and Jack Epps to write the screenplay. And again, these guys had just come off, you know, this Top Gun era. So they were hot as fucking fish grease. Um, Apparently, there were several failed scripts in Universal. Uh, and then the project just basically went dormant. John Landis was interested in Dick Tracy, and he brought us to write it, uh, brought us, brought us in to write it, says Cash and Epps. Um, and the, they were basically told to write a 1930s pulp magazine atmosphere and center it with Alphonse Big Boy Caprice as the primary villain. And Dick Tracy has so many, and Pruneface, very prominent in the comics, Flat Top, you had to fit them all, you had to find a way to fit them all in there. Uh, Epps read every single dick tracy comic strip for research from uh he read every single one from 1930 to 1957 they wrote two drafts um (laughs) max allen collins was a writer of a dick tracy comic strip at this time he remembers reading one of the drafts he said it was absolutely terrible and the only positive thing about it was a 30s setting and a lot of great villains but the story was paper thin and it was uncomfortably campy In addition to Warren Beatty and Clint Eastwood, other actors who were considered for the lead role included Harrison Ford, who was hot as fish grease, Uh, Richard Gere, there's no way it works with Richard Gere, I'm sorry, Tom Selleck, I could see him if he gets rid of the mustache, Uh, Mel Gibson, I don't think he would have worked in the role as Dick Tracy. Um... John Landis left following a controversial on-set accident on Twilight Zone movie in 1983 in which three actors were killed. I did not know about that until I started doing research for this. Uh, Walter Hill then came on board to direct and Joel Silver as the producer. Cash and Epps wrote another draft. Hill approached Warren Beatty for the title role. Pre-production had progressed as far as set building, but the film was stalled when artistic control issues arose with Warren Beatty, who was a huge fan of the Dick Tracy comic strip. Hill wanted to make the film violent and realistic, while Beatty envis- uh, envisioned a stylized homage to the 1930s comic strip. The actor also reportedly wanted five million plus 15 percent of the box office gross, a deal which Universal basically said no. Uh, Hill and Beatty left the film. Uh, Paramount began developing as a lower lo- lower budget project, Richard Benjamin directing cash and epps continued to rewrite the script but universal was unsatisfied the film rights eventually reverted back to tribute media services in 85 if you acquire the rights to something especially in the film world uh you have so long to actually produce a film with that ip and if you don't it reverts back to the whoever owned the rights to it before that Uh, that's happened a lot with some of the, uh, the MCU and DCEU, and those are really big now. A lot of films, like rights to characters were purchased by certain film studios and they never made a film, so eventually the rights would go back to Marvel or whoever else was producing films at that time. Um... After the the rights went back to uh, Tribune Media Services, Warren Beatty wanted. He decided to option the rights for himself for three million dollars, along with the cash and script. When Jeffrey Cadzenberg moved from Paramount to Walt Disney, Dick Tracy resurfaced with Warren Beatty as the director, producer, and leading man. He considered hiring Martin Scorsese to direct the film, which would have been interesting. I'm trying to envision Dick Tracy in a Martin Scorsese world. I would imagine a lot of fucks in this that and, and the third and I don't think that works even with it being under the touchstone umbrella which is a Disney company I don't think Disney was going for that um Beatty changed his mind he never he says it never occurred to me to direct the movie immediately but finally like most of the movies that I direct when the times comes to do it I just do it because it's easier than going through what I'd have to go through to get somebody else to do it Uh, Beatty's reputation for directorial proficiency, notably with the critically acclaimed Reds in 1981, did not sit well with Disney. As a result, Beatty and Disney reached a contracted agreement whereby any budget overruns on Dick Tracy would be deducted from Beatty's fee as producer, director, and star. Uh, Beatty and regular collaborator Bo uh, Goldman significantly rewrote the dialogue but lost a Writers Guild arbitration and did not receive a screen credit, which sucks. Disney uh, greenlit Dick Tracy in 1988 under the condition that Beatty keep the production budget within $25 million. Beatty's fee was $7 million against 15% of the gross. Once the distributor's gross reached $50 million, uh, costs began to rise once filming started and quickly jumped to $30 million. And its total negative cost ended up being $46.5 million. 35 and, uh, $35.6 million of direct expenditure, $5.3 million in studio overhead, and $5.6 million in interest. Disney spent an additional forty eight point one million on advertising and publicity and five point eight million on prints, resulting in a total of 101 million spent overall. The financing for Dick Tracy came from Disney and Silver Screen Partners 4, as well as Beatty's own production company, Maholland Productions. Disney was originally going to release the film under the traditional Walt Disney Pictures banner, but chose to release it and market the film under the adult-oriented Touchstone Pictures label leading up to the film's theatrical debut because they felt that it had too many mature themes for a Disney-brand uh, film. Of course, obviously that makes sense because we're talking about a film where Madonna is in her underwear, so that doesn't really fly in a Disney film. Um As filming continued, Disney and Max Collins conflicted over the novelization. The studio rejected his manuscript. I wound up doing an 11th hour rewrite that was more faithful to the screenplay. Even while I made it much more consistent with the script, Collins continued and fixed as many plot holes as I could. Disney did not not like this version either, but accepted based on Beatty's insistence to incorporate some of Collins' writing into the shooting script, which solved the plot hole concerns. Through post-production dubbing, some of Colin's dialogue was also incorporated into the film. Principal photography on Dick Tracy ended in May of 1989. And, of course, the film released June of 1990. Um, Design, and this is really interesting. This is something I picked up on um, before I ever did any research. I'm like, it's very vibrant with the color. Early in development, uh, Warren Beatty decided to make the film using a palette limited to just seven colors, primarily red, green, blue, and yellow, to evoke the film's comic strip origins. Furthermore, each of the colors was to be exactly the same shade. Beatty's design team included production designer Richard Selbert, sec director Rick Simpson, cinematographer Viatorio uh whom Beatty had worked with on his previous, uh, previous film, Ishtar, as producer and lead actor. Um... Visual effects supervisor Michael Lord and Harrison Ellenshaw. Prosthetic makeup designers uh, John Caglione Jr. and Doug Drexler. And costume designer Melina Canero. Their main intention was to stay close to Chester Gould's original drawings from the 1930s. Other influences came from the Art Deco movement and German Expressionism. Um, again, Danny Elfman was uh, hired to compose the score based on his previous previous success with Batman, which came out a year before um Disney modeled its marketing campaign after the 1989 success of Batman as well which was based on high concept promotion this included a McDonald's promotional tie-in and a Warren Beatty interview conducted by Barbara Walters on 2020 um if you remember there was also Disney added a Roger Rabbit cartoon short to the theatrical release of the film so you saw that if you went into the theater to see the film And Madonna actually promoted the film Through her 1990 Blonde Ambition World Tour There's actually a segment of the tour Where she sings She sings some of the songs from the film And they have dancers dressed up like Dick Tracy In the yellow overcoat With the yellow hat Um The film was everywhere Um Let's see Um Richard Silbert and set uh, set director Rick uh, Simpson won best art direction for the way that they built, you know, the sets, the backdrop, Uh, a lot of it is oil paintings, there's only so much that's, you know, they they filmed it on backlots, on sound stages, but a lot of it, where you have, like, this backdrop of the city, it's actually these oil paintings, and then the acting is done in front of those, which is really cool, a lot of... um, the train, that was actually, there's no real train used. There's a a model train about the size of, I don't know, like a Power Wheels car or something like that, I guess, is an appropriate size. Um, uh, John Caglione Jr. and Doug Drexler won for Best Makeup. Steven Sondheim also was awarded Best Original Song for Sooner or Later, I Always Get My Man, which is sung by Madonna. She sang that live at the awards ceremony. With three Oscars, Dick Tracy is Dick Tracy. I'm sorry, is currently tied with Black Panther for having the most wins for a comic book movie uh, nominations. Included out Pacino for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, who else? This is a very good film. I, I know it was lauded by a lot of people. A lot of people don't really like it, but you know, I really love this film. It was released on VHS December 18, 1990, exactly a week before Christmas. It was first released on DVD in Europe in 2000. A domestic release in the US was delayed till April 2nd, of 2002, and without any special features. Um, Disney hoped Dick Tracy would launch a successful franchise like the Indiana Jones series, but his disappointing box office performance halted Disney's plans. In addition, executive producers Art Linton and Floyd Muntrick sued Beatty shortly after the release of the film, alleging they were owed profit participation from the film. Um, It's very interesting. There's a lot of, like, legalese that's tied up in the fact that the film did not receive a proper sequel. Um, But I always wonder why it didn't... um, I don't know. It, it's just one of those films that's really a really, really iconic part of my childhood. Um, I thought it was really, really cool. Um, some of the notes from the film. Uh, the film inspired a storyline in a strip in which Tracy goes to Hollywood to act as a consultant on a film being made about his life. The storyline featured a villain half and half who was not a character in the film. Another storyline in the strips featured juvenile analogs of big boy, flat top, and breathless in roles that were apparently inspired by the characters' relationships in the film. Um, the film inspired a live stage show at Disney's theme parks called Dick Tracy, starring in Diamond Double Cross. The stage show duplicated the aesthetic of the film and included many of the same characters. But the plot was significantly different, and it's non-continuous with the film. Um... The pairing of Dick Tracy with Rollercoaster Rabbit supposedly led to friction between director Steven Spielberg and Disney, Buena Vista executives, as Spielberg believed the show would have helped the box office performance of his production company's film Arachnophobia. This may have contributed to a delay in the production of the Roger Rabbit sequel. I don't know why Spielberg thought that they would pair Roger Rabbit with Arachnophobia. I remember Arachnophobia coming out when I was younger, and I was just like, who will see a movie about a bunch of fucking spiders? Um... Let's see. There's a three issue tie in comic published. Um, The first issues served as a prequel to the film featuring characters that do not appear in the film and provide a significant amount of backstory with issue three being an adaptation of the film. Um, Let's see in the in a much earlier draft the blank was to be the main antagonist with flat top as the secondary one i would have loved to have seen a flat top only a film where flat top was the primary villain i thought i think that would be absolutely fucking awesome um and again i love flat top um but yeah i don't know this is a again the villain's flat top itchy mumbles numbers Influence, Prune Face, 88 Keys, Lips Manless, Spaldoni, Texi Garcia, Johnny Ram, Ribs Mako, The Brow, uh, Rodent Shoulders, Little Face, Stooge Villers, Steve the Tramp, and The Blank. Um, this is a phenomenal film, and I know a lot of people are just like, eh, it's not really that good. But to me, it's a really good film, but you also have to remember I was eight or nine, eight years old when this film came out so the child version of me is going to feel a certain way but then the funny thing is as an adult i'm like no i really still love this film i remember the first time i watched the goonies as an adult and i i remember texting people i was like look don't watch it because being an adult it ruins it the thing about you know how they say never lose your inner child your inner child doesn't see plot holes in a film your adult self definitely will always see plot holes in a film because you're just like that doesn't make sense why would anybody do that and this that and the third and when I look at Dick Tracy there really aren't any plot holes it's a a movie about a, a cop trying to take down a crime syndicate and everything makes sense and everything flows really good when I was younger I'm just like he's cool he's beating up bad guys it is what it is this is cool and now I'm older I'm like this is why he did this this is why this character did this You know, this is oh, that's why they kidnapped Tess. I didn't know why they kidnapped Tess when I was eight years old. I was just like, They kidnapped Tracy's girlfriend, he's gonna get her back. Now I'm like, Okay, this makes perfect sense. This makes perfect sense. It all it all adds up and it works for me. And I don't know why the film wasn't successful at the box office. Um I don't know if you replace Warren Beatty with somebody else if that changes anything. Um I don't know if Clint East maybe Clint Eastwood would have given you maybe a different result. I'm not sure. Again, Al Pacino was phenomenal. Madonna was phenomenal. They were all hot as fish grease at this point. Uh, You had a lot of big names, but it just didn't translate over in the review category. I'd be interested to see what the reviews were for this film. And actually, I'm going to actually look that up. Um... Let's see. Here we go. On the review aggregator website Rotten Tomatoes, the film holds an overall uh, rating, approval rating of 63% based on 54 reviews, with an average rating of 5.83 out of 10. The site's critics' consensus reads Dick Tracy's style is unique and an undeniable technical triumph, but it ultimately struggles to rise above its two-dimensional artificiality. On Metacritic, Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 60 out of 100, based on 24 critics, indicating generally favorable reviews. Audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average of a B+, on an A to F, A-plus to F scale. Roger Ebert gave the film four stars in his review, arguing that Warren Beatty succeeded in creating the perfect tone of nostalgia for the film. Ebert mostly praised the matte paintings, art direction, and prosthetic makeup design. Dick Tracy is one of the most original and visionary fantasies I've seen on the screen, he wrote. Uh, this can be of the New York Times reviewed Dick Tracy as just about everything required for of an extravagant extravagance, I'm sorry, a smashing cast, some great Stephen Sondheim songs, and all the technical wizardry that money can buy, and a screenplay that observes the fine line separating true comedy from lesser camp there are some times where it's really campy like when big when tracy's got big boy in the run he like grabs a guy effortlessly holds him up and punches him like he would punch these guys and they would like fall like in a comic strip the only thing missing was a zam or a pow or something like that so it is kind of campy in that one area um Owen Gleiberman of Entertainment Weekly gave a mixed review, but it was impressed by Madonna's but was impressed by Madonna's performance. Dick Tracy is an honest effort, but finally, a bit of a folly. It could have used a, a little less color and a little more flesh and blood. Gleiberman concluded, um. In heavily uh, in a heavily negative review for the Washington Post, Destin Thomas criticized Disney's hyped marketing campaign and the film in general. Dick Tracy is Hollywood's annual celebration of everything that's wrong with Hollywood. He stated. Peter Travers of Rolling Stone wrote that Warren Beatty, at 52 years old, was too old for the part. He also found similarities with Batman, in which both films involve a loner hero, a grotesque villain, a blonde bombshell, a marketable pop soundtrack, and a No Mercy merchandising campaign. Travers continued, but Batman possesses something else, a psychological depth that gives the audience a stake in the characters. Tracy sticks to its eye-poppingly brilliant surface. Though the film is a visual knockout, it's emotionally impoverished. Um, well, Batman is dark and brooding. Gotham City is very, very dark. So in any Batman film, except for Batman and Robin, even Batman Forever, you can connect. the Now, the beginning of Batman Forever with the, the helicopter chase with Two-Face, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, like, went way overboard with that character. But again, you go based off the script you're given and the direction you're giving so you can't blame Tommy Lee Jones Batman Forever was a little over the top Batman and Robin was way over the top but in all the other Batman films they were dark and they were brooding and that's why it works Dick Tracy is bright and colorful and it's kind of campy you know the Batman uh show with uh Adam West in the 60s or 70s whatever I can't remember I wasn't around then so But I'm just going off of what I've seen. It was very, very campy. I think even like the Spider-Man show of that time was campy as well. I think everybody was tired of campiness by the time we got to the point of this film. And Batman coming out a year before that and showing that you can be really, really fucking dark and brooding and be successful. I think a lot of people wanted a darker version of Dick Tracy. But if you read the comic, it just isn't dark. It you know, calling Dick Tracy, calling Dick Tracy. It's not like You know, Gotham City is like the toilet that society, like anywhere, like, you know, New York, they call it Gotham City in some circles. And you're not talking about Manhattan, you're talking about the dark parts of New York and things like that. And I think that's the point that people are missing in their review of this film, or they're looking at it through a certain lens. They're expecting it to be like Batman, like a film of that time. Like, remember, Batman's nothing like Superman. And as you went on with the Christopher Reeve Superman films, those kind of got campy. You know, Superman 3 and Superman 4, 1 and 2 are really good. But then you get to 3 and 4. It's like, mm, I think 4 is like, is 4 the quest for peace? Like, And you have the one with, like, Richard Pryor and stuff like that. It You can ruin a franchise going for comedic relief, and I guess, kind of going for comedic relief in this film, you kind of held back what could have been a potentially profitable franchise for Disney. Um, I would assume Warren Beatty, from my understanding, still owns the rights. It's crazy that he was actually 52 years old when he did this, because, again, I was eight when this film came out came out and I'm 38 so Warren Beatty's like in his fucking 80s now that's insane um that's just really really fucking crazy uh Warren Beatty is actually 83 he's 83 um but uh you know Bugsy followed a year later in 1991 and then he did Bullworth in 1998 um he kind of lays low um, you know, he and Annette Bening have been married since 1992. I'm a big fan of Annette Bennings as well. Um, I think, I, I thought that it was a really good movie. I still think it's a really good movie. I just think that you're always going to have, you know, somebody who's of one school of thought and they're going to represent, um, they're going to represent you know, a, a general group of people would be like, oh, this movie really fucking rocks. And then you're gonna have people who are a total, totally separate school of thought and be like, no, this movie fucking sucks. And when it comes down to these people behind these desks or behind these, you know, laptops or tablets now that represent the New York Times or Rolling Stone or, you know, which would have been Sis- Siskel and Ebert or uh, I forget who it is now everybody's going to have a different opinion of things, and again, I don't think it's a, I I think it's a great film, and I may feel like they're being, they're attacking it a little bit much, and that's perfectly fine, but you know, my opinion is not all told, it's not my opinion that matters the most, it's what did you get out of the film, and to me, at eight years old, I thought it was great, and at 38 years old, I still fucking think it's great, so this is for the kid in me, this is from Uh, little Derek from University City, Missouri, who just fucking loves comic books and things like that. This is strictly reserved for him. And I still have a lot of that kid in me. And that's why I'm still able to, to really enjoy this film all these years later. But again, if you haven't seen Dick Tracy, um, you can definitely, I would imagine it's gotta be on Disney Plus. It's a Disney property. Let's see. um it's actually on hbo max interesting it is not on disney plus so it's on hbo max if you have a subscription uh if you have a premium subscription to hulu you can find it there premium subscription to amazon prime you can rent it for 2.99 from itunes 3.99 from youtube or google play movies and tv or voodoo for 3.99 as well i'm very surprised that it's not on disney plus because it is a disney property but oh well anyway My name is Derek. That's all my time for today. Um, Patrons will get early access to this episode. Everybody else will get it uh, a few days later. Again, tell your friends to subscribe to patreon.com slash all our nonsense. My name is Derek. Peace out.